Lord, help us to know how we apply that to our lives and how we can walk with you and be more on board with what you're doing and where you're going. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, as some of you know by now, last summer my wife and I planned a trip to take our kids to see some historic sites in Washington, D.C. and New York, which we did last week. So we were in New York during the hurricane, great, great timing there, and after the storm we had no electricity, no heat, no water for the first day, no way out of the city, and then the hotel evacuated us and we had nowhere to go, but other than that it was a great trip. Now, unlike a lot of folks who are really suffering from this hurricane, you know, my family, we ended up just, just fine. And, you know, my kids even kind of saw it as a little bit of an adventure, so they were really good. You know, my, my son had a good time bugging his little sister by saying things like, maybe we're going to run out of food and we'll have to eat Lucy. <laughs> and before the trip, my wife and I had been talking about, you know, what, do, what, what, will, what will they remember from this trip? Now we know. And I learned two things. First thing I learned is that hurricanes are very powerful. I went running during the storm because, you know, what else are you going to do? You have to, right? And, and when I ran into the wind, I could barely move. I could barely move forward. The wind was so strong. But if I turned around and ran with the wind at my back, that was cool. <laughs> and I was like Usain Bolt. It was fantastic. The second thing I learned is you can't stop a hurricane. It is going to go where it is going to go, and it is going to do what it is going to do. And no amount of arguing from me about how inconvenient, not to mention expensive, it was to be stuck in New York for four days while I had dozens of things to do back home, like write a sermon, which I wasn't able to do, so I've had less prep on this one, so please be kind in your listening today. No amount of arguing from me had the slightest effect on that storm's path. How inconsiderate of my schedule. Now, a hurricane is a destructive force, as we've seen, but imagine if all that power was working for you, not against you. Let me ask you this question. How would you live? How would you live if you knew that you could not be defeated, if you knew that you were unbeatable? You know, sort of like the San Francisco Giants, only not evil. (laughs) How would you live? Not that life would always be easy or comfortable, it might be the opposite, but how would you live if you knew to your core that God's love for you was an unstoppable force and his purposes for your life cannot be derailed by sin or failure or loss or even death? How would you live? This fall, we've been talking about how God revives all things, and this is unique to Christianity. You won't find this in any other religion. Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that he is the God who brings dead things back to life. In other words, revives. Revives broken marriages, people out of poverty, revives us spiritually and emotionally. God's job is to revive. And God is good at his job, which means you don't have to do it for him. You can stop trying. The position of God has been filled very well, and they're not taking applications. God's job is to revive. Our job is to be on board with where he's moving because he's always moving toward revival. And if we're going where God is going... It's like running with the hurricane wind at your back. You're just, it's unstoppable. And we see that in the story that we read today about King Jehoshaphat, who has one of the coolest names ever, right? Like, I'm going to get a dog and name it Jehoshaphat, just because it'd be cool to call it, right? Three nations have declared war against Israel. And in the middle of this, he pulls one of the strangest military moves ever. It says that he appointed men to sing to the Lord as they went out ahead of the army. In other words, they're being invaded, and instead of sending out the soldiers first, he sends out the church choir. 
Right? It'd be a little bit like if Canada invaded us to force us all to watch curling instead of football. It could happen. Right? And, and, and the army was out there on Bellevue Way threatening the church. And, and, you know, and I sent the worship band out there to sing a song. It's not going to work. I mean, maybe if I went out and sang, they'd run away in fear. But, you know, these guys are pretty good. So it's just crazy. But Jehoshaphat understands one thing. He knows that God is always moving toward revival. And that all around us are spiritual forces that like a hurricane's wind, we cannot see, but they are very powerful. And if we just get on board with where those spiritual forces are moving, we will arrive at revival. And this story shows us kind of practically how we can do that, some ways we can do that. So I'm gonna, this sermon is going to be a little bit different. I'm just going to kind of walk through this story a little bit chunk at a time. And there's just, there's just going to be a lot of points coming at you, and you just pick the one you like best as it flies by, okay? First thing we have to do to experience God's revival, to get on board with where he's going and experience revival, is we have to refuse to be intimidated. Passage starts out, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. Better be afraid. It's very scary, Jehoshaphat. Better be be scared. This is our life, isn't it? Someone or something is always trying to make us afraid. Tell us how bad things are, you know, the news, the gloomy people in our lives, the political ads. Holy cow, right? I mean, and by the way, if you came to church today to find some hope, here it is. Come Wednesday, no more robocalls. Okay, someone say amen, right? I mean, yay! (laughs) And no more of those annoying Facebook posts either. How many of you, how many of you have unfriended someone in this season? Just... Yeah, just be on. No, I'm so done with that, right? Always something there to tell us to be afraid, right? Lots of messages. And often we get defeated before anything bad actually happens. This is my life because I'm so worried about what might happen. What if, what if, what if, what if? And a lot of times those what ifs never do happen. You know, in, the, in this story, the three invading armies are not nearly as invincible as they seem. The story ends that instead of attacking Israel, they end up fighting with each other and killing each other off and destroying themselves. Refuse to be intimidated. Do not just tell God how big your problems are. Also tell your problems how big your God is. Which brings me to the next step that leads to revival, and that is to pray honestly. It says in the text, Jehoshaphat's first instinct, he resolved to inquire of the Lord. First instinct was to pray. And he didn't just pray, you know, Lord, help me out, amen. No, prayed fervently and consistently, even fasted. And he prayed honestly. He even complains to God. He says, now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territories you would not allow Israel to invade when they came up from Egypt. See how they are repaying us. And he's referring to an incident when the Jews were escaping out of slavery from, from, uh, uh, from Egypt, where God didn't allow them to make war with the people who lived in Sair, whose descendants are now invading Israel. So Jehoshaphat basically says, that was your idea, God, way back then, and now look what happened. Okay, in doing this, he is referring to an incident that happened 600 years earlier. Really? 600? Dude, get over it. It's been 600 years, right? The point here is, you you don't have to go to God looking all holy with your Jesus face on. We can be honest, we can pour out our pain, we can, be, you know, we can complain, we can even be angry at God. You see this everywhere in the Bible. The psalmist prays this way, Moses prays this way, prophet Jeremiah, holy cow, Jeremiah raised complaining to an art form, right? Like he worked in complaint the way other artists work in watercolor or oil, he was just the master at it. There's even a word for it, Jeremiah, which makes, basically means a big old temper tantrum. 
Imagine if you were such a complainer, they used your name as a synonym for temper tantrum. Right? Oh, don't mind him. He's just having a Dudley. Right? You have no idea how appropriate that would be, actually. But here's what's great about our God. He receives it all. He wants to hear it all. I call it worrying in Jesus' presence. I'll just worry away about whatever, and now and then I'll just say, Lord, are you getting this? What do you want to do with this, Jesus? Show me. Jehoshaphat puts it better. He says, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Something in your life need reviving? That is a great prayer. Jesus, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Pray honestly. Then the next thing he does that leads to revival is he worships. It says he bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Now I want to define this a little bit because worship is more than just Sunday morning. It's not just singing and hearing a sermon. That's worship. That's just like this much of worship. Worship is about what we give, what we give our time and our energy and our efforts to. It's what we're caught up in. Romans 12 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is true worship. Now, it doesn't say offer your thoughts or your sentiments, your bodies. Worship is what we give our bodies, our hearts, our time, our energy to, which is why I always think it's odd when people leave on Sunday saying, oh, I didn't like worship today. Does that mean you didn't like the way you presented your body as a living sacrifice? But worship is not something we watch. It's something we do. And it goes beyond Sunday. It's, what, it's what's got our attention. And if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something else, success or career or being well-liked or whatever it is. After the hurricane, as I said, our hotel didn't have any electricity, no heat. But if we walked about a half a mile, we could get to the part of Manhattan that did have power. And right where the electricity zone started, there was this bank that was closed, but it had one of those glassed-in ATM lobbies, you know? And there were all these people there, down on their knees, looking down on the ground. And I said, are they praying? And my wife said, no. You know what they were doing? Charging their cell phones. You know, and occasionally fighting over the outlets. The veneer of civilization is very thin, guys. Now, for some, that cell phone was a lifeline in an emergency, but for others, it was, they were charging because they just couldn't stand to be unconnected from the office even for one day. I know because I was one of those people. Right? What's going on at Bell Press? You know? That's worship. It's what we're caught up in. And in this story, Jehoshaphat does not get caught up in the invading armies or his need to maintain his power. Instead, he gets caught up in what God is doing, and that revives him because what God is doing is always moving toward revival. Which brings me to the fourth and the main point of this sermon, which is this. Revival happens not when we get God on board with our agenda, but when we get on board with God's agenda. In his prayer, Jehoshaphat says to God, you promised to give this land to Abraham's descendants forever. You promised that if we call on your name, you would be faithful. You promised that you will be with us. And in doing that, he's not trying to manipulate God. You know, he's not saying, hey, God, you promised you got to deliver. No, he's not doing that. He's reminding himself that God has a plan to work through the nation of Israel to bring the good news of his love to the whole world. That's what God is doing. That's God's agenda. That's where God is going. Jehoshaphat knows he just needs to hoist his sail and catch that wind. And if he does, he'll arrive at revival. It's about getting on board with God's agenda, not getting him on board with our agenda. That's why when I found out that we were stuck in New York for four days, first thing I did was I gathered my wife and my children together for a family prayer time where we thanked God for the chance to grow closer together as a family and to see his power displayed in nature. You're not buying that, are you? 
No, 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 no. I kind of sort of eventually got there, but my first instinct was to tell God how to handle the situation, which I do a lot. God, here, this thing needs revived, and here's how you ought to revive it. Here's my five-step plan, God. Do it. A better prayer would be, Lord, what are you doing here? Help me to see it so I can get on board with that. Because if you're on board with where God is going, then you are going to end up at revival because that's where he's going. And God is powerful. He made the whole universe. His purposes for your life cannot be stopped. Refuse to be intimidated. Pray honestly. Worship. Get on board with God's agenda. Next, do what God says that will lead to revival, even if it's hard or seems crazy. I'm going to talk more about this in weeks to come, so I'm just going to mention it here. But revival is something God does. We don't do it, which means by definition, it's going to look different than we think it should look, which means sometimes through scripture or prayer, God's going to ask us to do stuff that either we don't want to do or seems crazy to do. And if we want revival, then we're going to have to do it. You know, he says to Joseph, send out the choir. Seems kind of crazy, but it works. Is your marriage in trouble? God says to Love each other. How? In Scripture, not just any old way. Love each other the way Christ loves the church. And you may not want to do that. That may seem hard. But here's the deal. When both partners do that, it leads to the revived marriage 100% of the time without fail. And if you need help knowing how to do that, we got resources. Men's Fraternity, the Moms Group, Marriage Mentoring Program, the Marriage Course. Financial worries? Bible says give 10% or more away to God's purposes. Sounds crazy. But but you'll see that God will provide for your needs and that you can be happy on less than you thought you needed. Refuse to be intimidated. Pray honestly. Worship. Get on board with God's agenda. Do what he says to do. And then if we do all of that, we discover one last thing. And that is that God's purposes are good even when our circumstances are bad and God will plunder our problems to bring good out of it. In this story, after the invading armies destroy each other, it says that Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and articles of value, so much it took three days to collect it all. That is, they plundered the invading army. And there's a, there's a metaphor in that. God doesn't send problems our way, but he does plunder them to bring good things out of them. You know, in the story that we read today, God brought a lot of good out of that, out of that hardship. The experience built the Israelites' faith and confidence in God. It sparked a spiritual revival. It says that, you know, every town in Judah was praying and fasting. That's revival. But beyond that, this story became an encouragement to future generations. The book of Chronicles, where we find this story, was written centuries after Jehoshaphat lived, at a time when Jerusalem had been defeated by the Babylonians and the Jews taken into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And then they came back. And when they came back, there was one overwhelming question. Where's God? We've been defeated. The kingly line of David has been wiped out. Where's God? And are his promises any good at all? And the book of Chronicles' main point is that God is faithful to his promises. And even though their circumstances at the time looked dire, God God had not forgotten them. He was still at work. And he promised that a deliverer, a Messiah, would come out of the kingly line of David. He hadn't forgotten it. Eventually, Jesus did just that. Chronicles' point is that God is always faithful to his process, and he bends the long arc of history and the long arc of our lives toward revival. You know, in my own situation this week, when I stopped telling God, whenever I could stop telling God how to fix things, and instead would ask God, what are you doing here? Show me. I could see some good things happening. 
You know, we did get closer as a family. My kids, they were awesome, right? I mean, it's like they knew mom and dad are a little on the edge, especially dad, right? And, you know, let's be extra good. They, they were awesome and very, you know, very helpful. I, at one point, I pointed out, gosh, you kids aren't even fighting. And my daughter said, well, why would we fight? And I thought, well, because you do all the time at home. I don't <laughs> just kind of thought, right? right? And they were so helpful. You know, as I told you, our hotel for the first day didn't have any water at all, so that meant no toilet. So we had to walk about a half a mile to where there was electricity, find an open restaurant, no easy task, buy something to eat, and then we could use the bathroom, right? And I thought, three kids, this is not going to work long term. So I went out, I found a store that was open, and I just bought a bunch of bottled water, figuring that if we poured it in the tank, then we could flush the toilet, right? But when I got back, my wife was reading the label, and it was some fancy French water that had never been touched by human hands, right? It was so pure, they had some process where it went straight into the bottle, right? And my wife said, we can't use this to flush the toilet. And then my son said, oh, oh, dad, you can use this in a sermon. It's like Jesus in the Bible, it's really good and pure, but we flush it down the toilet. Well done, right? It's a pastor's kid thing. You wouldn't understand it, right? Being so helpful. And then two days later, when the hotel evacuated us and said that we had to leave, we couldn't find any place to stay. We later read that on that day, there were only two vacant hotel rooms in all of Manhattan. So we called a former student from my college ministry days, and we, we knew her fairly well, and we, you know, we knew she lived in New York, but we had decided that we didn't have enough time to see her. Right. So then we had to make that phone call, right? Hey, Mackenzie, yeah, we're in New York and we didn't call you, but now that we're being evacuated, it was awkward. (laughs) But after we got past that, she did let us stay with her in Brooklyn where there was electricity and restaurants that were open that you went to for the food, not the bathroom. I mean, it was was awesome. And we got to catch up with her, got to meet her fiance. Good things came out of it. And whenever I could be on board with the way God was plundering that for good, I felt a lot better, felt revived. And when I wasn't on board with that, I was miserable and making everyone else miserable. You know, so often I want God just to make my life easier. You'd think I'd learn by now. I'm a pastor. So often I just, God, just make it easy. Just fix it. But God wants to make me whole and holy, and he wants to make me more like Jesus. So he uses hard things that come our way to shape us and to mold us. It's like a diamond You know, a diamond is a beautiful rock, but in reality, a diamond is just a lump of coal that has responded particularly well to pressure. We are lumps of coal, but God uses the pressure in our life to make us diamonds. And for us, the hurricane, it was just mostly a logistical hassle. For others, it was devastating. But even when the worst happens, God is there to plunder even those things and bring good out of them. I'll close with this. I got an email from a woman who used to go to this church before she moved, and she talked about how nine, nine years ago, uh, she was, uh, she, after her third divorce, three divorces, she was crying alone in her house one day, and something just prompted her to go to church. And the pastor was talking about how often it says in the Bible, be courageous, be strong, and she felt that was aimed at her. And she decided to rededicate her life to Jesus. And she entered a season, what she says was just this sweet season of feeling at peace and feeling just... God's presence for, for, a lot of, for a lot of years. But then a couple of years later, she suffered a, a, a permanent injury by being thrown from a horse, an injury to her arm that ended her career as a massage therapist because of nerve damage. And she said she wondered, 
why God allowed such a tragedy to happen, especially since she had completely surrendered her life to Jesus. Why did he let something happen like that? But through prayer and asking God, what are you doing here? She eventually went to a community college to get a new degree in hospitality management. And she said, this is where God became so real. Because she didn't have any money because of her disability, but she got all these grants, scholarships, financial assistance from friends and family she hadn't even asked for. She said, it was just this spiritually magic time, and I knew that God was right there with me and that God was providing for me. So, happy ending, right? Wow, life goes on. And about two years ago, she ended another very disappointing relationship, and she'd been fired from two different jobs. And she said, I felt like I wasn't good enough for my boyfriend, and I wasn't good enough for my employers. Where was God in this? But she kept praying, God, what do you want to do with this? And one day, as she was praying that, she got one of those thoughts that she knew was not her thought. It was God turning the question back to her and said, well, what do you want to do? And she thought, well, I want to use my degree. And then this thought just popped into her head. She thought, hey, maybe I could work at a dude ranch. Okay, that's got to be God, right? Like, how often does that pop into someone's head, right? Just right there, right? So she did some investigating. She found that it happened to be the two-month hiring season for dude ranches. Who knew there was such a thing? But, you know, God's timing again. She applied. In spite of the unemployment rate, she got four, jobs in, four job offers in two weeks. And now she works in Montana at a five-star ranch, which sounds like an oxymoron to me, but where her degree is being well used. Now, for some of you, that, you're like, that sounds horrible. Dude Ranch in Montana, ah, right? But she likes it, and that's the point, right? She, she loves how beautiful it is, loves the church she's a part of, loves her job. She closed her email by writing this. She said, my testimony's not over yet. Submitting to God's will is a lesson I will have to learn over and over again. But learning to trust God is lessening my worry. It's eliminated my need for anxiety medication even. Following Jesus is like walking down a path with faith as a lamppost. He gives vision right in the present moment, but nothing beyond. But by reading the Bible, by praying, I have learned what his heart is like, and I have learned that his heart is passionately for me. And he is always there, no matter what. She refused to be intimidated, prayed honestly, worshipped, got on board with God's agenda, did what he asked her to do, even if it was a little crazy. I mean, dude ranch, kind of out there. And she has seen that God's purposes for her life are good even when her circumstances are bad and they cannot be derailed even by very painful things like three devastating divorces, a permanent and career-ending injury, and multiple unemployments. God doesn't cause the bad things to come our way, but he plunders them to bring good things out of them. So what needs reviving in your life? Refuse to be intimidated this week. Pray honestly. Worship. Do what he asks you to do. And get on board with God's agenda rather than trying to wrestle him to get on board with yours. And you will find that God loves you and is working toward your good with hurricane force that cannot be stopped, that cannot be rerouted, that cannot be derailed. His love never gives up. It never runs out. It never leaves you forsaken. His purposes for your life are good and can be derailed by nothing, not the devil, not your circumstances, not anything. He is working for your good and he is an unstoppable force. So Jesus, thank you for that promise. Lord, ask that this week we would be able to see that in the midst of whatever circumstances we face. God, help us to lean into what you're doing. Help us through scripture and prayer and wise counsel of others to know where you're headed, to know what your agenda is so that we can be on board with it and we will give you all the praise for the results. In your name, Lord. 
Amen.